Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. All right, welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I am Navy vet Phil Briggs reporting for the military news and veteran lifestyle website, ConnectingVets.com. Now, uh, like we like to do on the show, every time we can talk about a veteran that has a good book out there, you know, I want to constantly update your reading list. And uh, today we're going to hear about The Wardroom, an officer's tour at sea in the crisis of the U.S. Navy. And it recounts an officer's tour aboard a U.S. Navy destroyer. He talks about Russian battle cruisers off the coast of Syria, a fight with ISIS in Libya, all while struggling with an unhinged captain and his own sanity. And I'll also hear more about uh, how the wardroom explores the Navy's enigmatic surface warfare community. And in this story, we'll hear about the tragedies of the USS Fitzgerald, the USS John McCain, two Navy collisions, which, you know, cost 17 sailors their lives. And really, we're going to examine the greater look at the surface Navy's broken culture and how it's been foretold, not only by these naval ship tragedies, but uh, just by the culture that's being grown there in the wardroom. And uh, here to talk about his book, former Naval officer Thibaut Deleu and previous guest on the show. Great to have you back, Thibaut. Thank you, Phil. So glad to be back. Appreciate it. So last we spoke, we were talking about some kind of double standards in the military and maybe, you know, some punitive issues related to cannabis that uh, just sort of seemed illogical at best. You know, the way they treat alcohol one way and they, you know, treat cannabis another way. And arguably the drugs do radically different things. No place for them in the military. But, man, it kind of just highlighted this problem of the way the military sees things. And you had told me this book was coming because you said this is just many problems that our military is having right now. And we talked about this book that was going to come out where you really sort of peel back the curtain and 
expose, I think maybe ways the military needs to change its thinking. So let's start off with kind of like your overview, what motivated you to write again, the book, the wardroom, an officer's tour at sea and the crisis of the U S Navy. Yeah. The book is uh part memoir. It started out as a memoir. Just, I was writing, you know, anecdotes of my time um, on my first ship, which was a destroyer um, for deployed in, uh, in Spain. So we deployed, we were out at sea quite a bit um, in Sixth Fleet, which is um, Europe. And then as I was writing it, it really uh, turned into more of an analysis of um, surface Navy as a whole, and particularly the culture of, of surface warfare officers, which is the community that I belong to, um, or SWOs, as they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was finishing my first tour on the USS Kearney uh, in the summer of 2017, which, um, as you know, is when those two tragedies occurred, um, the collisions of the USS Fitzgerald and then USS John S. McCain. And this year is actually marks the five years since those collisions occurred. Mm. Um, so more than just a memoir, I wanted to explore from my experience, um, having been a slow, you know, at the same time as the JOs who were on the, on those ships, uh, kind of want to explore like a little more into the causes of those accidents. Um, based on what I saw on my own ship, um, the same kind of ship, a destroyer, uh, even though I was halfway around the world, but uh, very much coming from that same culture. What's one of the first things you want us to know about the book, The Wardroom? Let's talk about these naval collisions, right? They're in the book. You document why this may have happened. What is it about the culture that may have contributed to this happening? Because you're right. Like when I hear the news story about a ship, colliding with another ship you think oh my gosh this was like an unforeseeable accident or this was a horrible tragedy because it couldn't have been avoided or it was you know impossible to see but you're saying there's a problem in the navy what in how the officers are being trained to to steer ships or to manage ships yeah i think you're right i think um when the news stories came out um and then when the navy reports came out what the navy did was kind of highlight a lot of problems Right. That's what the Navy likes to do with, with incident reports. Um, they call it kind of the Swiss cheese model. So this idea that like the Swiss cheese is the holes within Swiss cheese. And when those holes line up, an accident occurs. Right. Um, but what I found really when I was thinking about this, um, and researching the book is I think there's one glaring, glaring problem in causing the accidents. That is the training that SWOs receive in the Navy. Right. We do not have a professional mariner corps in the U.S. Navy, which sounds crazy to think that you think Navy, you think ships, right? So you think the one thing that we know how to do is actually be mariners, right? Like drive ships out to sea. Um, but really, we actually don't uh, train mariners that well. The reason being that if you think about the SWO, there are different officer communities in the Navy, you know, pilots, the medical community, engineers, right? But Surface officers fall under just one big community. And so these are officers who do like every conceivable or who lead every conceivable division on a ship, be it engineers, could be ITs like the communication specialists, weapons specialists. And we also drive ships out to sea. But because we do, and we, we, can, we can kind of call this the general, generalist mindset, this idea that SWOs are generalists and they can kind of lead any division, uh, learn any job on a ship. Because of this, we don't really train very well at just being mariners, at just driving ships. And that, I mean, it's, if you think about like piloting and, and aircraft, right, that requires a ton of training. There's a ton of technical knowledge. 
there's a lot of knowledge around um could be weather systems um navigation right driving a ship out to sea is the same there is a ton of knowledge that goes into doing that but the u.s navy we ascribe to this model of like swoser generalists and therefore we don't invest a lot of formal training into our mariners uh, and my argument in the book is to say that that is the number one cause why these accidents occur. Because when you think about it, you can name, certainly you can name like a dozen reasons or a dozen things that contributed to the collisions. But the one number one reason is that the junior officers standing watch on the bridge of those warships, when the accidents occurred, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to respond to a crisis. They didn't know um, the equipment on their bridge. And most um, and the most glaring issue is like they didn't even know certain rules around um, just the basic navigation rules of the road, which is the very basic thing you need to know as a mariner, right? Which is the rules of like how do you actually navigate out at sea with other ships? Right. These are U.S. Navy specific. These are um, standard across the world. In my yeah, I was going to say because because my friends have a boat and they always remind me, you know, it's red right returning when exactly. you're coming back into the marina. When you're coming back in there, you got to be on the correct side of the buoys, and the buoy systems are always, you know, red right returning. Make sure it's the red color you're looking at. Make sure you're on the right side of that buoy when you're coming back into the marina. You can't be on the left side of the exactly. waterway. <laughs> you got to be on the right side of the waterway. And you're Absolutely. saying that. Generically kind of qualified surface warfare officers are trained to be leaders. I remember being on a carrier, right? And like the, I remember everybody could go for their SWO pin. You learned about every kind of ship in the military. You learned about military strategy and tactics to fight a naval war type scenario. But you're not trained how to come alongside all kinds of docks. You're not trained on the fundamental red, right, returning philosophy of being in a water channel. Yeah, and we're, that we're trained now. We're trained a little bit, right? But we do not have nearly the amount of expertise in the amount of like formal training you need to be proficient in those things. So certainly, we do receive a little bit of training, but it's very, very generic, right? Like the training you receive before you step on board a ship is really just a few sessions in a simulator, and then all of a sudden you find yourself on the bridge of a warship, and you're supposed to drive that ship while you're doing all your qualifications to earn your swoop-in, and you're leading a division of sailors, right? And one thing, as there's, I talk about this in the book, but we are the only Navy in the world that does it this way. There's no other Navy that trains their service officers like this. Every other Navy has a model where um, service officers specialize. At least it's split up into mariners and engineering officers, right? Whereas in the U.S. Navy, that community is a single community and any officer who works or nearly any officer who works on board a, a warship and leads most divisions really comes from the same very generic, um, very lackluster training. And so when these, when they find themselves on the bridge of a warship, again, they just, their level of expertise and knowledge of being a mariner and everything that goes along with that, right? Knowing navigation, knowing the systems on board your ship, knowing just like the skill of how to actually drive a ship, those things are really lacking compared to either other navies, even our own Coast Guard, even the, the merchant industry, right? Again, my contention is that that is the primary cause of why these happened. We haven't fixed that problem, meaning an accident like this can happen again. And we'll be back with more from former Navy officer Thibaut Delu about a dangerous lack of training within the naval officer community when CBS Ion Veterans returns. 
Now I'm recording this the last day of September and we all know what happened this week. Massive, massive Hurricane Ian just devastated the Gulf Coast of Florida, especially down there around Sanibel, Captiva. Just, I could go on and on and on with endless amounts of details on the devastation and the needs down there. But what I want to do is draw your attention while I got it here to the Florida Disaster Fund and how we can all help make a difference this week. The Florida Disaster Fund is the state of Florida's official private fund established to assist Florida communities as they respond to and recover during times of emergency and disaster. We all know they've gone through a hell of a lot of hurricanes, but this last one, this last one just really, really crushed it. And full disclosure, my family and I love going down to the Gulf Coast of Florida. My favorite spot so far has been Siesta Key, just a little bit to the north. We love the water, we love the shells, we love the hospitality, but we love the fact that it's open for business. In fact, over the last two years, there were times when many things were not open for business, but because of the climate, because of the beachfront, because they're outdoors, we went to Siesta Key and had a great time. And right now, we need to do everything we can to help them reopen, which is why I'm asking you to support the Florida Disaster Fund. And they're a 501c3 charitable organization. Their donations are tax deductible and they operate with a really low overhead. So, you know, I know that as much as we want to send cases of water and boxes of clothing, right after disaster, that stuff just tends to stack up. I think what they really need is the money to support the removal of the debris and to begin the rebuilding while people wait for insurance or wait to figure out what the heck to do next. So let's all turn to and go to floridadisasterfund.org and help the good folks down there get back on their feet and help support the Volunteer Florida Foundation. Again, that's floridadisasterfund.org. And if you want to call them up in Tallahassee, you can reach out at 850-414-7400. All right, we're back at CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs, and we're talking with former Naval officer Thibaut Delu about his new book, The Wardroom, an officer's tour at sea and the crisis of the U.S. Navy. Now, we've heard about his experience as an officer on a U.S. Navy destroyer, and he says there's a dangerous lack of mariner training among the Naval Service Warfare community known as SWOs. These Naval officers are a large group of leaders who have a wide variety of professional skill sets but don't often have the extensive training in the fundamentals of driving ships. And this lack of training can lead to ship collisions and accidents like those on the USS Fitzgerald and USS John McCain back in 2017, where these type of tragedies have cost sailors their lives. But he also explains how the culture within the Navy officer community is a cause for concern as we try to maintain a naval force that can handle future military conflicts anywhere in the world. The other piece, in terms of like what is happening in the service navy, is there's a, is a big culture problem. Um, and SWOs are leaving the community in droves. The navy's having a lot of trouble retaining SWOs, which means they're having a lot of trouble um, getting department heads. Right, and getting really, I mean, you go from divo to department head. Ultimately, you, be, you know, SWOs are the people who become captains of service ships, mm-hmm. and that just comes from like this. There's this kind of toxic leadership culture of um, this very like careerist mindset where people, and I believe that stems 
partly from the training in the sense that because people are not really specialized in anything, really, they just end up being really interested in their own careers. And there's, again, a lack of expertise within the leadership as well, even sometimes captains of warships, right? Like on the on the um, McCain, when that collision occurred, the captain was on the bridge, right? Same with the USS Porter a few years before that. So even within the leadership of surface ships, there's a lack of uh, professionalism. There's a lack of expertise. And that just turns into a kind of toxic culture of people who are interested in their careers and in advancing and not so much in really creating a professional core of officers and, um, and a professional community of officers on surface ships. And then it results in really officers leaving the community in very high numbers. Certainly people are leaving your job category in any industry. It's a bad sign, you know, you were kind of polite, I think in your description there of saying people are, more, become more interested in their own career than they do the industry of driving ships or of running ships companies that can safely drive a warship, go conduct war at sea. I mean, I know we're not doing it World War II style, but in that there's a void there. Give me some colorful examples. Are you saying that like the CEO is just a jerk to the crew and doesn't give a rat's ass yeah. because he's really more worried about making admiral? When I was in the Navy, there were a lot of stories about bad leadership and toxic leadership. Um, now, obviously, I'm not saying every captain is not proficient in the Navy. I've met a lot of great captains. I've met a lot of great leaders. Don't get me wrong on that. But I would say the general consensus and part of why schools are leaving is because of the, the culture in the wardroom. Wardroom is, you know, where officers eat just feels, um, it feels toxic in the sense that people are not really interested in developing junior officers as leaders or as mariners or as professionals. Officers on warships have become like bureaucrats. We've become administrators. Our job is just to run the administration of our divisions of programs. Maybe it could be like the navigation program. And really most of our time is spent in spreadsheets on a computer or just kind of managing, we're like low-level managers almost. And again, this is in part because of the lack of professional training and the growth in like administrative requirements, these like endless inspections that we have in the Navy. Um, and it has kind of turned us into, again, bureaucrats as opposed to what we should be, which is mariners and warfighters and engineers, right? We should be experts at our job, but instead we're just administrators. And so I think that fact that results in toxic leadership culture because that's what the leaders are focused on, right? Like you need just to do your job as a bureaucrat and check off your little checklist as opposed to like, Hey, are you actually a good navigator? Right. Are you actually a good engineer? Are you actually a good warfighter? That's not the focus. The focus is do the administrative requirements, check off the boxes. Right. And what you get is you, you you're not, you're not retaining talent in the Navy. You're not retain you're not retaining the best engineers, uh, you're not retaining the best mariners, you're not retaining the best warfighters, because people are leaving because they don't want to be part of that culture. So you get people who are not really that good at their job and who just end up having this like careerist mindset. Wow, I never thought about that that way, but you're right. The endless computerized spreadsheets, almost akin to the movie Office Space. You know, you're I'm gonna need a TPS report. Okay. And Sometimes I'm that's need the you to come in on exactly. Saturday. Okay. 
Yeah, that was annoying. And I'll tell you, when I hear it, I kind of think back and think how lucky I was because when I was in my public affairs officer, who was my direct boss, he was a SWO, he was a surface warfare officer, but he was a former enlisted. And every single time, every single day we'd have meetings, you know, he'd come out from the computer, he'd come out from the PAO's office, he'd sit in the shop with us, we'd sit around on stools. I remember all kinds of conversations with my divo. You know, if you're out there, Commander Reed, a hell of a great job. I felt I knew that guy. I felt he knew me. He was not just a manager, but he he led us. He knew where our skills were. He knew how to use us as a team. You know, if all you're doing is promoting guys that are good at spreadsheets and all you're really worried about is getting good at your spreadsheets so you get your next promotion, you stop interacting with the crew that way. And could you imagine a football coach going out there, didn't give a crap about any of the players. He just wanted somebody in the tight end position. I need somebody to hike the ball. I need somebody to catch the snap. And then everybody else run that way. Your team would suck and you wouldn't develop the good ones from the ones that need help. And imagine, and you know, imagine even if we did that with other communities, be it like, you know, our pilots in any branch or our infantry officers, you know, in the army or Marine Corps, you know, for some reason, the surface community seems to be a bit of an outlier where it's allowed this to happen without paying attention to, again, the professional know-how of their leaders. Well, very cool. It's an interesting look for any former officer. I, I think this book sounds super cool to learn more about what the future of the Navy looks like and maybe conversations we need to be having right now with our friends that are still in or people in positions of influence, you know, to be able to say, Hey, look, man, are you guys implementing this? Are you, are are you checking a box or are you a vested surface warfare officer that knows how to do it and really how to lead? And again, there is, you know, the book is not, you know, a lot of people think uh, you're just a, you got out, you're here to complain, but there, you know, I'm hoping to make change in this community. And again, in the book, like it's, there is a solution. There, there is a model for how to fix this and how to create professional Mariner Corps in the Navy it's being done in other communities, in our own military, in other navies across the world. The solution is out there. We just need it as Navy to actually make that decision and invest in that change. And that's the tough part. That's the thing that Navy leadership is not really willing to do right now. I say anybody that wears the khaki needs to go and have two months with nothing but bosun mates. You need to go hang out with oh, the bosun exactly. mates and you have to be the E4 in the division. That would be incredible. If only, if only, uh, right, instead of, Four years of the academy you spent, at least one of those years, yeah. Uh, Get your hands dirty, exactly. Gotta love the salty bosun mates. The guys that can paint the ship, tie the knots, drive the ship, and always ready to drink a few beers. Thibaut DeLue, really, really glad to have you back. The book is The Wardroom and Officer's Tour at Sea and the Crisis of the U.S. Navy. Uh, Where do I find this? Everywhere I get books. You got a website? Uh, I have a website, TeboDeLue.com. You can find it there. Uh, It's also on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Rock and roll. Sir, good to see you. Thank you, Phil. Now's the perfect time to make your next career move. Our MBA and most graduate cybersecurity courses start October 5th. Gain the credentials and skills that many top employers are seeking. Visit umgc.edu. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at Phil Briggs Vet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. 
Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.